Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is March 23rd, 2015. My name is Jake English. This is Scott Magnus, and this is episode 114. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, you're most likely doing it on our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible you found us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which you can find at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network where you can uh, find lots of great shows in uh, Baltimore uh, sports such as uh, the Ravens, the Orioles, the Terps. And the Terps. The Caps. Yeah. Wizards. Check out uh, Baltimore Sports Today. It's uh, BSR's daily podcast. Also, be sure, uh, sure to check out our newest member, Red Shell Radio, a uh, Maryland Terps basketball and football uh, dedicated podcast. You can find the show on Stitcher, on iTunes, on Miro, Double Twist, etc. You can find us on Facebook, but the best place to find us, as always, is on Twitter at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. With that, with the important stuff out of the way, let's go to the most pivotal part of the week, and that is, of course, the drink of the week. Scott, what are you drinking? Jake, I am drinking a 15-year-old uh, scotch, single barrel, and uh, it's, from, it's called Scotland Park. Okay. Pretty good, Jake. I trust you. I am not drinking such a good beverage. I am drinking a uh, a magic hat. What's uh What's wrong with that? I'm nothing wrong with it. It's just that an apricot infused beverage up against your scotch. It doesn't quite seem to have that oomph. Well, what can I say? It's you know single malt scotch whiskey, 15 years old versus mm, a bomber bottle of magic hat. Number nine? Yeah. Okay. I think I win this week. Makes up for the jalapeno IP, I guess, from last week. Oh, that was rough. If you're interested (laughs) in what we're drinking, we are always posting on Untapped. You can find me at JakeE4025. You can find me at MAGN8606. With that, let's uh, check in in the medical wing. What do we have going on this week? Sure. So last week we covered Jason Garcia being out. Um, he has come back. He has pitched very effectively. Once again, Ryan Webb also recovered from his allergic reaction to ice and pitched uh, on uh, Saturday for one inning and had decent results as well. So the two people that we had concerns about last week and maybe thought that the Orioles were trying to shuffle through and hide them um, have come back in our pitching once again in spring training. Who's not pitching for us now? Well, the big news, of course, is Hunter Harvey is out with a hairline fracture um, in his fibula. Uh, four to six weeks out. Yikes. Yeah, on crutches. Here's the thing. Can we can we, can we we not freak out about this? Here, here's the thing. Hunter Harvey was not going to pitch for the Orioles right away. Yes, we want him to get that development time in the minors, but this is not a big deal. Actually, this is a huge deal. Nah. It's a huge deal because it comes back to... 
he's going to be off his feet for four to six weeks without baseball activity, which means he's going to really not be able to come back into minors until two months or so. Um, and then you're looking at a, a lengthy progress. Any hope that he was going to come up in August or September of this year and be you know, something of effect in the bullpen, pretty much nullified. I really feel like for the long-term success of the organization, this is not a bad thing. It keeps a year's worth of mileage off of him. I'm not really that worried about it. Jake, if you've read anything that the beat writers are saying, this is the last year the Orioles are going to be in contention because everyone else is leaving after this year. Oh, right, because all these young arms we have in the minors aren't ever going to turn into anything? Right, exactly. Right, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, if anything else happens in the medical wing, we'll be sure to bring it to your attention. But for now, we have more pressing matters. It's on to the twat. This week on the Twitter. You know, Jake, this could be an interesting list that uh, is, is out there right now on Twitter. This comes from Seductive Tommy H, and you should be following him at Seductive Tommy H. 100 things Orioles fans should know and do before they die. And this is a riff off of the new Dan Connolly book. Um, and it says, number five, the blinding glow of Palmer's teeth and at drunken Gary Thorne's bourbon bottle. Hmm. It's impressive. It's impressive. Seductive Tommy H., if ever you want to come on and you know do a guest coast or on Bird's Eye View, or maybe even just come on for an interview segue, the invitation is wholly open to you. We would love to get your playful banter on this show. Next, we want to talk about how bad the Mets need Brian Mattis. I, I wrote about this today on birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, but here's a tweet from Hardball Talk, and they, of course, tweet at Hardball Talk. Mets tab Bartolo Colon as opening day starter. Why? Bartolo Colon is their opening day starter. You can't tell me the Mets don't need a guy like Brian Mattis. Yeah, but why would you pick Bartolo Colon? It doesn't make any sense. Because they are in dire straits. Yes, and Bartolo Colon's their best pitcher? I can neither confirm nor deny. However, he is the most entertaining at the bat. Yeah, there's not a guy like, oh, I don't know, like Matt Harvey on that team or anything like that. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> I, I can't figure it out, but uh, I'm hoping something will get done. Um, interesting times in, in terms of uh, contract discussions. Uh, this comes from Joel Sherman. Uh, he posts for the New York Post. You can follow him at Joel Sherman 1. Eaton Yellick extensions this spring. Is Chris Tillman next? Not viewed as imminent, but Orioles and reps continue to talk. This is interesting to me because I, I feel like uh, Chris Tillman probably shouldn't be at the top of their list, but maybe from a signability standpoint, he is. I, I think it's a good opportunity for them to start signing these people that have uh, you know several years of arbitration left. I thought you know Manny Machado might be in that similar boat come next offseason. Um, but Chris Tillman and these individuals that are going to be here for several years under arbitration, it's time to start locking them up. Um, similar like a pitcher like Miguel Gonzalez might be a similar situation where you're saying, I want to lock this guy up for a longer period of time as well. But Chris Tillman, um, there's always the concern that someone can get injured, especially with the climate of, uh, you know, Tommy John surgery blowing up in everyone's face. Um, that could be anybody. But though, right? Exactly. It can be anybody. I think it's a good opportunity for the Orioles to uh, get Chris Tillman signed before he would hit the open market and uh, make it, contract friendly basically paying off his additional arbitration years and getting some payback for not hitting the open market for maybe another two years afterwards yeah we don't want to let go of our ace we don't want to let go of a above average pitcher which probably would go for 15 to 18 million dollars on the open free agent market um next week goes to uh the oh baby category this comes from carrie muscat you can follow him at carrie muscat and it's Here's hashtag Cubs Madden, and it is Joe Madden 
in some exquisite um, blue tight gym shorts and some high an- high not even ankle socks, high knee socks. Basically, um, all I'm gonna say is if you can't root for the Cubs if you don't look at that picture, I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm not feeling it. Oh, you're you're sorely mistaken. I'm not feeling it, and here's why. I feel like he's cheating us with the socks. They're stirrup socks with the stirrups, not painted on, but it's part of the stitching. you got to have real stirrups. Look, I know you went to a private school and everything like this, but this is the kind of public school garb that we would come to expect from our gym teachers, okay? All right, fine. You want to class this up? We'll class this up. (laughs) We're going to take this to the next level. I had a little bit of a -a tete-a-tete with somebody over some apparel this week that I want to clear the air. (laughs) This, of course, is Ryan Wagner. Ryan Wagner tweets at rwag614. I was very excited about a bow tie I got, orange and black with a Maryland flag pattern on it. I said, eat your heart out, Ryan Wagner, because he was the one that brought it to my attention on Twitter. So he sends me back a picture staring deep into the camera saying, dude, seriously? We had a little tete-a-tete. I want to set the record straight. It was a dance, really. He's got way more, he's got way more bow ties than me. He's, he's so much better at this. So you, you win. So he's the king. You win, Grant. You you win. So he has got a better job than you and better bow tie collection. Yes. You're pretty much left with nothing except for me. Moving right along, <laughs> last thing we want to bring to your attention this week is something that was tweeted out by Baseball Reference. Of course, tweets at Baseball underscore Ref. The tweet is as follows. 14 days until opening day. Hashtag will winter ever end. That's two weeks, Scott. Two weeks from today, opening day. I think we can make it, but I'm not sure if another pitcher is going to make it. Jake, let's go to the tape. Scott, there's gold, there's silver, and bronze, but you know what they call a fourth-place finish? Mm, Well, normally not the Baltimore Orioles between the years of 1998 and 2011 because they were the fifth-place finisher. But this spring training, the number four, they call it the Mattis. What? Number fourth in innings pitched for this spring training, none other than Brian Mattis with 10.1 innings pitched. Whoa, 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 whoa. There is no way that's possible. I didn't think that was the case either. However, it is the truth. Hold up a second. Let me put up, pull up my numbers. Enhance. Enhance. <laughs> Brian Mattis. Oh, gosh darn it. That is not right. He has a crap ton of <laughs> innings. That is not right. Of course, he's probably getting those innings because they're trying to showcase him. Is to, there any other excuse? To be fair, Logan Verrett also has 10 innings pitched. Well, there is that. <laughs> but I, I, we talked about it off the air. You, you were... Uh, it's absurd that Kevin Gosman doesn't have more innings pitched, correct? Yeah, that is correct. They've been, um, well, slowly working him in during the spring training, which is a little annoying because it certainly seems like they're getting him ready for a AAA Norfolk assignment. The only the only kind of excuse I can make is that Buck Schulter doesn't like to show his actual starters to AL East opponents. And I don't know about Didn't you. did we get that speech in 2012? It seems to me like the only team we ever play is the Blue Jays. Like, anytime I tune in, they're in Dunedin or or the Blue Jays are there. Like, it's just the Blue Jays are bust. But, look, they're trying to shop Brian Mattis, and most signs point to the Mets. 
Are, are there other teams involved? Because to be honest with you, I, I've kind of got my sights set on the Mets. <laughs> There's been talk of other teams, but I don't think anyone's been named directly. I think it's Mets or bust per, personally, and uh, I, I honestly believe that a deal is going to get worked out in the next week. I really hope so, because if they spend all of these spring training innings basically taking away from other pitchers so that they can showcase Brian Mattis, and then he goes to the bullpen anyway. You wrote an article about this saying you're getting a little impatient about having to wait. Yeah, and I don't dislike Brian Mattis. I mean, let's let's not get crazy here. I don't hate the guy. I just You just don't like him. <laughs> I just think that his time in Baltimore has passed. I think that he's not going to be a starter for us. I think that his... His role as a, a reliever is is dwindling because he's shown that he's not capable of doing the things that he did so well in 2012. Uh, I just think that he he should try to get a gig elsewhere, and the Orioles can get something for him and save at least part of that 3.2 million dollars. Hmm. It's like we're ready to give up on another pitcher. It just seems like we've done that before. Maybe in the 2013 season. You're alluding, of course, to uh, Pedro Strope. Of course, Pedro Strope. <laughs> An excellent reliever for us. Well, not really, but I'm really referring to another you know, draft pick of ours that was part of the Cavalry. Jake Arrieta, of course, getting sent to the Cubs during the 2013 season for Scott Feldman. Um, and then Jake Arrieta came back and was amazing last season. So the question is, Jake, if Brian Mattis does get traded to the Mets... Um, what's his role going to be with the Mets? Is it going to be a starting pitcher like Jared Garrietta? Is it going to be Lugie? And do we think that Brian Mattis actually could be as good as Jake Garrietta was last year? That's a whole lot of questions. Let me one, one at a time. Uh, this Jake, year, <laughs> do you think he could be in the bullpen? Hang on, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing. Here's a crayon. Thank you. Put your beer down and pay attention. Uh, I think that this year, is his best chance of starting for the Mets because they are so depleted and they've just named Bartolo Colon as their frontline number one starter, opening Which day again, starter. Makes no sense whatsoever. Most entertaining with the stick. You gotta you gotta give it to him. I'm gonna okay. draw in those crowds with the Bartolo Colon hitting experience. And it's not like they have like Matt Harvey on their team or no, anything like that. No. Maybe they're just afraid he'll get hurt again. Or Jacob deGrom or you know I don't know. Anybody but Bartolo Colon? Well, I mean Bartolo Colon is certainly not bad. I mean, he is a veteran pitcher, great, you know, fourth or fifth starter now, but the Mets have a quality rotation, even with the loss of Zach Wheeler, where, you know, they could be a really good team going forward. And um, I, I just don't see why they're going with Bartolo Colon to start. I mean, if anything, that 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 franchise needed a resurgence, and having Matt Harvey come out during opening day would have done that. Instead, it's, let's bring the old big fatty out and... Um, Honestly, when I heard that, I thought it was a joke. Like, I was waiting for the punchline. Well, it is the Mets, so. That's true. <laughs> so this is the best shot I think Mattis has to spend some time in a rotation and, in, you know, in a short time, reassert value as a starter. But I don't see it happening, There's to be no honest There's no way you. he's going to get in and be a starter in there. At best, he's going to go in there and be a loogie. And I understand that Zach Wheeler's out. But Brian Mattis is no starter. Uh, we've seen how he is as a starter um and it's just not the case although his numbers have been very impressive this spring training and he's starting to talk like a starter his number they're spring training numbers right yeah I mean, but, he, but he, again it if you remember two years ago we were talking about brian mattis because we thought he was going to be in this rotation and we were all on the mattis brand band bragging you know sorry section 336 we beat you to the punch on that one um and and, and we were talking about it and then brian mattis came out and was just like you know I really wasn't sure how I was going to go about it, and my approach was completely off, and it was just like, 
dude, what the heck is wrong with you? You need to be able to own who you are. At least, you know, when Hibaldo Jimenez goes out there and gets lit up, he's just like, well, I was working on my command, and you know, I was... It, it may have looked bad. It may have it looked bad, but it wasn't as bad, and I don't really need to fix anything. Well, you know, the thing is that Hibaldo Jimenez has the black magic where he can look Buck in the eyes and Excuse make me? him put him back in black the Black magic? I think that's racist. <laughs> You're right that uh, that Brian Mattis was a defeated guy. I mean, he just... he It, it was obviously in his head. Yeah. And you mentioned... Uh, Jake, Jake Arrieta earlier, and I, I think that he was also a head case who he seems to have figured himself out a little bit uh, in the Cubs organization. And when we say a little bit, I mean, he was really good. He was really good last year. You know, everything improved. Uh, strikeout rate improved. Walk rate improved. He just became a more, you know, effective pitcher in terms of, you know, his pitch arsenal. And kudos for him. I think we all, as Baltimore Orioles fans, knew that he had the potential to put together but we just knew that Baltimore wasn't going to be the spot for him. And Jake Arrieta always had it within him. You know, he would have moments of brilliance, but he always had that one big inning that would right, and then blow Buck, him up. And then Buck would walk out there shaking his head and be like, give me the freaking ball because I can't believe you just gave up this game. Now, you, uh, again, off the air, you, t- you told me that uh, you think that a success uh, has a lot to do with his slider. Yeah, he increased his slider percentage immensely. He went up from being a 15% slider pitcher to a, a you know a 29% slider. I also think he changed his mechanics with his grip a little bit too. It went to being more of a Jake, I hate to say it, more of a cutter. Well, he had to do it there cuz he couldn't do it here. Well, I think that's overblown to a certain regard. I think that you know cutters are perfectly fine for an individual that is getting up there in age like Jake Arrieta is. And I what how much how old is Jake Arrieta? Is like 28, I bet. I mean, he can't be that high up. But uh, again, it's one of those situations of you have to really look at it and say, if Jake Arrieta is able to have that kind of success with a cutter-like pitch, why aren't the Orioles letting certain players try to develop that cutter? By the way, Jake Arrieta, 29 years old. God, uh, I feel old. Ancient. <laughs> all right, so Jake Arrieta has the arsenal. You know, He's got all the pitches, and now he seems to have the poise that he lacked to to make it all the way through a game in addition to to the, uh, the the physical. But Brian Mattis aspect. also has four pitches, something that, you know, Bud Norris, for example, is kind of dabbling with. He really has had four pitches, but he really has to have that changeup to really work effectively. And that's been Brian Mattis's biggest issue too. That changeup has sucked mm-hmm. over multiple seasons. And when it sucks, Brian Mattis gets lit up. If I remember correctly, wasn't the changeup that Ryle... We're not talking about that. Nope, we're not. Nope, nope, I think, I think nope, it was the changeup, nope. wasn't it? <sighs> Probably. <laughs> Oh, now I'm sad. Oh, now sorry. it's sad podcasting. Sorry. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, you know, I mentioned the term change of scenery, which is hackneyed and cliche. Expecto um, Patronus. But with <laughs> Brian Mattis, do you think it could be uh, a matter of a different set of input uh, that may help him unlock what he hasn't been able to figure out here with the Orioles? Ah, uh, maybe. I just don't think he has the stuff that Jake Arrieta did. I mean, I never thought Brian Mattis has that stuff. I think he's always been a highly touted prospect, you know, fourth uh, fourth pick in the first round draft. Mm-hmm. But I always felt like Jake Arrieta had more talent than Brian Mattis did. And even if Brian Mattis goes to another thing, I don't think he would see the success that Jake Arrieta does. Like I said, when we traded Jake Arrieta away, I was duly happy for Jake Arrieta because I knew that he could succeed in on another team and that he probably wasn't as good. If Brian Mattis gets traded to whoever it may be, Mets, Diamondbacks, whoever, I just don't see them having the same amount of success. You knew that if Jake Arrieta left, he was going to be successful. We can probably figure out that if, if 
Brian Mattis goes somewhere, he might have middling success. Middling at best success. So maybe back-end starter. I certainly don't think that Orioles fans need to fret over it. I also think that his trade value is extremely low. That is why, for example, if he goes to the Mets, the Orioles are probably going to have to chip in some money. So if you're looking to unload him for like $2 million, it's that sounds like reliever money to me. It does not sound like starter money. Uh, and he can't work things out in like minor leagues because he would be doing that in the Orioles organization. He's going to need to maybe become a long man in the bullpen if he's going to want to become a starter in the future. And maybe that's why they're trying to stretch him out. Maybe they're trying to make him into that mold that people can work with. But I mean, the Orioles kind of have to piss or get off the pot at some point with him this spring. They either have to pull the trigger and trade him or they need to pull him back and also diminish his innings so that in the la- this last two weeks of spring training, some of the real starters can get innings, right? Yeah, and like I said last week, I blew the save with the Orioles should make that trade for Brian Mattis for Logan Barrett, and I still feel that way. Um, I also think that it's important for the Orioles to get someone out of that bullpen, um, specifically so they can get someone in there with options, whether it be Miguel Gonzalez or whoever it may be, so that we can kind of constantly circulate players back and forth, back and forth, because that has been a critical situation with Dan Duquette and Buck Walter being able to preserve their bullpen integrity. Absolutely. You you talked a lot about this week. You wrote on BaltimoreSportsReport.com that it should be Bud Norris that goes to the bullpen. Maybe. Oh, my putting words in your mouth. I said if he continues in this pace, maybe we're going to have to have that conversation. But at this time, I'm not saying that's the case. Um, like I said, in November, I'm expecting regression from Bud Norris. But I don't think that Bud Norris is going to be as good or have that, you know, you know, 15 win season like he did last year. I think it's a situation of Bud Norris could be a 500 win starter. So, I mean, not nothing great, but good serviceable fourth or fifth pitcher, which the Orioles have a lot of. (laughs) And they need to ship out guys like Brian Mattis in order to make room for all of them. That's right. Exactly. All right. Well, with that, I, I think they need to make room for Kevin Gosman. Okay, it's as simple as that. <laughs> it really is. They, they need to make room to be able to carry Abaldo Jimenez and also all the pitchers that they need. Yeah, there's actually a good article too about Abaldo Jimenez and why he can't be sent down on Utah Street Report, which me and Derek were hashing back and forth today. So I highly recommend checking out Utah Street Report about that. I believe Mr. Scott Magnus got the old tip of the hat for that article. Uh, let's just say that uh, I was consulted heavily. As you were consulting heavily, you were scotch during the, the uh, progression, I'm sure. Uh, let's just say that I didn't really want to go to a meeting. So I was just like, hey, I've got something important <laughs> here to do at my desk. And it was talking to Derek Arnold about uh, waiver wire options. Fair enough. Well, there are options. The Orioles have many of them. What we need to do is we need to determine which is the best option behind the plate. So it is official, Scott. The Orioles have placed catcher Matt Wieters on the disabled list, and it is, well, they say unlikely, but it is impossible at this point that he'll miss that he won't miss the start of the season. Let me ask you: Are you concerned? Mm, no, not really that concerned. I mean, I think last year when Matt Wieters went out, I was really concerned. I was just like, great, who's going to fall in for Matt Wieters? We really have nobody. Uh, and Caleb Joseph was a godsend for the Orioles in 2014. And I'm not saying that Caleb Joseph is going to be, you know, as good as he was. But in all honesty, if he can be a 
decent defensive catcher and some decent pitch framing. I think it's a great sign for the Orioles to, uh, you know, keep him there and uh, use his ability. I, I, I don't think the Orioles starting rotation uh, overperformed due to Caleb Joseph. But I think Caleb Joseph was a uh, inherent benefit for that rotation. Well, he didn't hurt them. Right. And I think I, that that's just as good. Yeah, right? I, I think that's just as good. But I also think that to a certain extent, Caleb Joseph helped to exemplify them as to a certain regard as well with his pitch framing. All right. I have no problem with Caleb Joseph. I, I think that we are fools to believe that he's going to bring us much with a stick. Um, I believe that anything that he provides with a bat is a bonus at this point. He can carry his own. I mean, at one point, you know, he was the double A, uh, you know, what was it? RBI leader, home run leader, yeah. something. He he was big. And then he went on the stretch of hitting home runs last year for like a week or so. But, but it, it's not going to be that. It's going to, you know, he's going to hit 230. Right. Occasional power, but nothing really. His work is behind the plate. So Caleb Joseph is going to be the guy when, when Matt Wieters isn't. But the question becomes then. Dan Duquette has made it clear that the catching depth won't be sought from outside the organization. Who does this create an opportunity for within the organization? We've already talked about Joseph. He's the clear starter in Weeder's absence. Who else we got? All right. Well, there's three other catchers that are really going to be up for grabs. Steve Clevenger is the one that everyone is going to be talking about. P.O.P. Yeah, Pride of Pigtown. Left-handed hitter. Um, and, and people talk about him being you know, a, a good offensive player. But in all honesty... Against left-handed pitchers, he's only he only has a 64 weighted runs created plus against right-handed uh, right-handed pitchers, and against left-handed pitchers, he has a negative 20 weighted runs created plus. So he is absolutely abysmal against left-handed pitchers. So in all honesty, he can only go against right-handed pitchers, and even when he goes against right-handed pitchers, he's not really great. Um, so all this talk about him being a better offensive uh, you know player than Caleb Joseph, not really. Well, let's talk about it. His defense was what got him sent back down sure. and made an opportunity for the organization to go out and get a guy, Nick Hundley, to to fill in that hole. Um, Buck Showalter and the rest of the organization unhappy with him defensively. The beat writers have been saying that he's been working really hard on that. Have you seen any indication that we've got a different Steve Clevenger behind the plate than we had before? No. <laughs> Is there anything uh, about his arm as far as catching base runners that's special? No. All right, so he's just a guy who can sometimes hit. Yeah, I mean he's he's a I guess a serviceable backup catcher in this car. I mean this is like a backup backup catcher, so he really is probably one of your better options. Just to say you're a you know a, a lifetime minor league catcher is is more of a better aspect. Quadruple A on the taxi squad, right? Pretty much, yeah. And again, he has an option remaining this year, so he can come up, go back, come up, go back, which is nice just in case Weeders gets hurt again. Or even, you know, heaven forbid, Caleb Joseph gets hurt and you need a spot start there. But yeah, Steve Clementure is not going to be um, the savior of this team. He could serve as a backup catcher to start the season. All right. What else you got then? Well, the other two players that are, you know, are an option are Ryan LeBarnway and J.P. Aaron Sebia. Both of them currently are in minor league contracts. They're not on the 40-man roster at this time. So they were required to be added to the 40-man roster, which means someone's going to have to come off. And the other situation is neither one of them have options remaining. So those individuals would have to be placed their waivers again. I'm not sure if anyone would bite on Aaron Sebia, but Ryan LeVarnway was already gone through waiver wire. Heck, this offseason by being picked up by, I believe it was four teams. Um, so there's a, probably a good chance that someone would p- try to pick him back up and add them to the roster. All right, now we can't pretend to know a ton about LeVarnway. We've seen him a little bit in the spring, but give me a, a quick breakdown. What does LeVarnway bring to the game? Well, LeVarnway was a top 100 prospect uh, in the Red Sox organization at one point. 
And that's something that Duquette likes. He likes guys that are former first-round picks, former high prospects, that kind of thing, because at some point in professional baseball, they had a track record. Sure, a high upside catcher. Uh, if you look at certain projection models, I'm going to go to Zips because, again, we had Dan Zabrowski on here. If you look at just his performance in terms of projections over you know 300 plate appearances, it came out to be right around like a 90, 96 weighted runs created plus, which, again, for a backup catcher, that's serviceable. Um, defensively, he's a little bit below average. Um, doesn't do a really great job with pitch framing and doesn't do a really great job in throwing runners out. But it's certainly a serviceable backup catcher in order to you know help out. Um, right-handed hitter. Uh, he's just a good option for that backup catcher. The issue comes back to um, he doesn't have any options. He's a 27-year-old individual, and there's a lot of teams that are going to be interested if he hits the waiver wire. The question is, if Matt Waiters is going to come back up after only five or six games, is it worth Ryan LeVarnway coming up for those five or six games to probably play in only one game? Well, I think the thing about LeVarnway is this. If he's the one that's on the 25-man roster instead of Clevenger, you can keep all three of those guys in the organization. And those three, I mean Joseph, Clevenger, and LeVarnway. You could throw Aaron CB in there, but I think you and I agree that he's a bum. He's not really going to Yeah, I think he'll be released. Uh, the other situation with Aaron CB is... In his contract deal that he signed with the Orioles, if he is retained by the club come the end of spring training, he gets a $100,000 bonus. I have a funny feeling that the Orioles will be cutting ties with him right before that happens. And if he wants to be reinvited back to the club, he might not get that bonus. But yeah. I don't think it's gonna. he's going to stake out. I think Ryan LaVarnway um, and Steve Clevenger can be serviceable catchers at Norfolk throughout this year and the thing is if we can keep all three in the organization we have that time to look to see how matt weeders is doing down the line because it's much better to have those options in-house when you need them rather than let them go and then realize that you need them i mean look at the way that the steve pierce situation worked out last year we suddenly had an injury we needed steve pierce back and he was good enough to come back but he could have been gone you know he was released by the orioles he could you know he could have up and left he came back instead We, we can't hope for that with our catching situation I think you're probably right in the fact that LeVarnway is probably our, our better option to go. But I want to come back to what we just talked about with what are the what-ifs with Matt Wieters. We talked about it. He's recovering from that Tommy John surgery. Maybe he came back a little early. Maybe it was too soon. I have a hard time with that discussion because, you know, people that, that you know claim to be in the know now say that, oh, well, you know, it's a nine-month surgery or it's a 10-month surgery and he came back nine months later. Yeah, but he got all the green light from the medical. So sure. let's not let's not play, you know, 2020, uh, hindsight is 2020 uh, uh, armchair doctors. I think there's a real question with Matt Wieters as far as what's he going to be this year and how quickly can he come back? If, I mean, if at all. And I think to a certain extent, we've got to go back to the Boris comments. And, you know, Boris has come out and said, I want Matt Wieters to be on the roster, and he should be able to be a DH. I think there's a lot of great articles out there. Cannon Deep has a great article why Wieters should not be a DH on this team because, again, he's not a really good offensive player. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting that Boris is specifically you know, saying, I want Wieters to do, be a DH. And it's interesting that he's saying that from, you know, Boris has never been a big person just on counting statistics to a certain regard. It's almost like Boris may know something um and it's just being like hey we've got to get this guy some time yeah i i think that boris wants him to get as many at bats as he can to to do something positive to create some leverage at the end of the season yeah but like i said it's interesting that it has to be through the dh aspect because i'm wondering if he knows that matt weeders really cannot be a catcher that he was in the past all right so weeders has had this setback do you think 
Knowing Scott Boris's penchant for taking his clients to the offseason, hitting for the open market, doing free agency, do you think that this puts them in a position which they may be a little bit more open toward negotiating with the Orioles because that leverage is, is really missing at this point? I think it's a situation where Matt Wieters is going to be offered a qualifying offer. and I think Matt Wieters actually might sign that qualifying offer. Basically the one-year reestablish your value type of deal? Correct. So a one-year $15 million deal come the end of this year, and Matt Wieters says, you know what, you know how, how I can't imagine he's going to have a great year, but whatever he comes back to, I think he's going to come back and say, people are going to still doubt me. I'm going to come back for one more year with the Orioles, see if I can establish my true value, and then go out there and get another three- or four-year deal. All right, and here's another question. I, I agree with you that that's the best way for both Matt Wieters and probably the team, yeah. because the follow-up question then is, as far as an extension is concerned, do the Orioles at this point want Matt Wieters back? For the long term, you know, I hear multiple different things about this from various people. Um, you know, Chevy Burns, who is on Baltimore Sports Report uh, Network and part of Baltimore Sports Today, which I believe you were co-hosting briefly this week, um, says, you know, he doesn't really think Weeders would be back with the team. I don't know about that. I just I feel like Matt Weeders is an integral part of this team. I think Buck really values him on this team. Um, I could easily see the Orioles giving him a three or four year contract. It's just a question of how much is that going to cost in the open market. Um, but I could easily, you know, justify spending fifteen to eighteen million dollars a year on Matt Wieters for four years, and that's fifteen to eighteen million dollars annually for four years. And I think that'd be well within the rights of you know the market at this time. I. I- I agree at some level with you, but I'm somewhat held back by the fact that this is the organization that wouldn't spend $40 million over four years for Nick Markakis with an injury issue. And until Matt Weider shows that that arm is not going to be a recurring issue, it's not going to be an issue that depletes his, his defensive ability, which is what his bread and butter is right now, and is not going to keep him from regaining any bit of that offensive production that he claimed to have had last year. I don't know. I think the Orioles are in a tough spot, and I think that Weeders is is kind of also in a tough spot for a leverage, as, as we talked about. I think it's hard to lump Weeders and Marcakis in the same category. When Weeders is done this season, he's only going to be 29 years old. So Marcakis was 32 signing this contract. Even if he goes one more year and goes to 30 years old, I think it's perfectly within the right for the Orioles to say, we want to see a contract go through, for, go through 34. Maybe it's a situation that they say, we're going to turn you into that DH first baseman catcher mm-hmm. and you're going to be our backup catcher going forward. And we're going to basically, hopefully that chance Cisco is going to be ready at that point. I'm not sure if that's really going to happen, to be honest. Um, again, prospects are prospects. I think, you know, we have to see what happens with Matt Wieters, but certainly I'm still behind Matt Wieters. Uh, he needs to be an Oriole uh, this year. He needs to be an Oriole next year and he needs to be an Oriole for several years to come. Yeah. And, and as you so correctly, I think said, the qualifying author offers probably the gateway through which that happens. Correct. I mean, it's going to happen anyway. The Orioles are going to offer him a qualifying offer. It's just a question of does Matt Wieters and Scott Boris actually take the qualifying offer, which there's no way in my mind I would have thought they would have done it before. But now with this weirdness that's going on at the beginning of the season, the question of when Matt Wieters actually might come back, maybe they say let's go ahead and have a really good season and see what happens. So we'll have to see. Jake, uh, let's get away from talking about catchers, and um, let's go ahead and blow the save. Jake, go ahead. All right, we we had something interesting happen this week. Bird's Eye View is obviously a baseball-centric show, but you and I enjoy other sports. One of them is college basketball, and of course, the Terps. Women's college basketball. Go Lady Terps. 
The Terps just got bounced out of the NCAA tournament by West Virginia. Womp womp. Great season, though. Yeah, it was, it was a fantastic season. It was a lot of fun to watch. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I have high hopes for the future of the Maryland program. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, it was a shame that they, they lost to West Virginia. It was a shame they lost the way they did, seeing Melo Trimble go down with an injury. Some of the, the you know officiating was really tough. Of course, no team loses because of the refs. They no. just lose, and then the referee is just a kick them while they're down type of situation yeah i mean the referees did really help with 20 turnovers but go on absolutely (laughs) i think the real disappointment of the night for me though is one of the things that i haven't missed from live tweeting sporting events with my my fellow uh, sports tweets and that is when the going gets tough uh when things are going poorly for the home squad the fans of the same team turning on one another like rabid dogs that's not a good look for you guys it's really, really not. And we see it with football. We saw it with the Terps the other night. We see it with baseball. Look, as soon as the Orioles lose two, two games in a row, as soon as you know a losing streak happens, as soon as a player has a, a poor week of performance, people get ugly. Internet tough guys. I'm smarter than you are. Same team, guys. We all follow the same team. And believe it or not, this sports thing, it's supposed to be fun. Can't we just have a little fun with sports? No, no fun. Just constant belittling and building up ourselves. Okay. It's as simple as that. That's what that's all the cool kids do. Duly noted. Yeah. But um, yeah, keep in your pants, everybody. Hey, that's my soapbox. It's now back under the table. I'm all set. Okay. You've got two weeks to get yourself situated and be the tough guy again. So, oh, so I, I get to snark at people uh, when, when the Oreo games start? Uh, yeah. That's what I like to hear. We do have one more thing that we wanted to make sure that we mentioned real quick. Uh, Bird's Eye View got included somehow in this uh, March Madness style tournament uh, of Baltimore area Twitter accounts. And uh, it's it's been fun so far. Thanks very much for voting. We're very flattered. Uh, make sure that if you're interested in doing that, that you go over to the website. It's uh, kerriganbro.weebly.com slash social. You can find it there. I think we're in the Elite Eight now. Is that is that so? I think so. I don't know how that happens, but yeah, apparently we're in the Elite Eight. So um, going up against a big opponent, if it works out the way it looks now, Baltimore Sports Report, we're coming for you. Mm. And by that, please be nice to us. Don't please, hurt us. Yeah, don't kick us out of the network. Appreciate it. Thanks. Well, with that, Jake, we are slowly counting down the days. We have opening day tickets. We will see everyone at the yard. We'll be back next week. Jake? Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Peace. Apricot beer? Really? It's not good. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.